0: Uh, yet all coaches would admit that's what the the game is all about. That balance of structure and freedom, right. Uh, where, where players have room to create. So yes, I think, I think coaches tend to make the game at the college level, uh, two half court. I think that's where we get back to our FIBA and 24 versus 30 seconds, open up the game a little bit. I think the game is trending to, to a more open and creative style, but, uh, you can definitely overcoach, you can damage your team as much maybe overcoaching as you can by undercoaching because there's definitely that too.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back for another episode of Zebra Stripes. I'm coach Gene Clemens, joined by coach Whit LeJour. This is episode nine, Wait, are we episode nine right now? Yeah, we are one from double figures. We are one from double figures and, and that is that is double figures with a with the arrow pointing up. Um thank you to all of you who gave us feedback on last week's show. Um really in, enjoyed that episode. I, I think we spoke about it with it was we both enjoyed the show, enjoyed how it went. Um I, I think there's some guys out some people out there that like when we get into our coach bag. So we'll we'll try to you know make sure that we we always set aside a little something for that as well um it's been a really it's been a really interesting um start to the playoffs with everything going on with the super wild card i think we can we can successfully say that the super wild card was a waste of time this year um with the way in which things worked out for the 2-7 um game um for for both sides the fc and the and the nfc um your your patriots um, took a took a tough one on the you know took a tough one on the, on the on the chin the Buccaneers came through with flying colors but also lost a few guys and then many more um craziness that went on with the week but you wanted to to start with something I wanted to give the floor to you
0: yeah well no I I, I uh you know same old thing life happens so got news uh last night actually of a former colleague and friends passing due to some complications and surgery and Mark Tilton, Mark Sparky Tilton. um, Basketball prep fans would know him from New Hampton School in the 80s and I was fortunate enough to have him as my assistant coach during a a run uh, that included uh, Lawrence Moten and Conzo Martin and Eddie Cooley and you know, those are just the guys that today are household names but a lot of other good guys so you know it always anytime you get uh news like that it makes you pause for a second and, uh, but you know that's the world we live in and um you know there's a lot of there's a lot of families out there with with covid and everything else we're just in such unprecedented times. so uh you know and i know mark would tell his family you know carry on i mean he's not gonna you know he was a tough sob so there it is. Not the way, you know, again.
1: Well, you know, rest in peace to um, Mark Sparky Tilton and and our prayers um, go up to his family and anybody else that's close to him, that's feeling um, the effects of his loss. Um, we talked about it a, a few weeks ago, Um, how the older you get, the closer death gets around you. It's almost unavoidable these days. Every week we could come in here and, you know, give an RIP to somebody. And but when you, when it's someone as close to um you as as you know, Coach Tilton was, we we want to make sure that we give our respects um, and make sure that it's recorded so that um other people can look back and and know the impact that he had on with you down at. At new hampton um you know back in that 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 run in the 80s um where um i'm sure people would say that new hampton kind of got put on the map um and what they've been able to do since then not to you know not even anything to try to like toot your horn but just the the truth of the matter so um you know life well lived job well done rest up and, and we'll we'll see you soon sparky yep um, there was another um uh, well, well getting back to the to the NFL, i'll go, and-
0: I'll go with the, i'll go with the patriots i might as well get my you know football side of me which is Okay, so- well yeah absolutely yeah, Embarrassing well, sure. is embarrassing is the word that most in new England is using and um i think that's fair uh you know it was pretty humbling embarrassing uh defeat uh i tend to think you know again i go on on hold saying the uh season was a relative success. Uh, I think the lingering question is, you know, what happened at the buy that, you know, caused seemingly such a, a slide in, in performance. Uh, then I read today some things in the, in the, in the globe, my favorite newspaper, um, you know, talking about how awkward it's gotta be for Belichick, where his sons are on the defensive side of the staff. And, you know, that's where seemingly, uh, you know, a strength of their team turned into a non-strength uh, late in the year. So tough one uh, for New England, but for 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 uh, guys like me, you know, with Brady winning, you it kind of eases the sting because he's he's still kind of one of ours, no matter what uh, Tampa thinks.
1: Yeah, and and that's really one of the things that I wanted to talk about. I I, I think that there it doesn't get spoken about enough in the NFL, and I actually. Mentioned this or talked about this um, on my on my gene therapy column this week on CWN Sports and my gene therapy podcast um, this week about um, the coaching ranks and how we the reason that we end up seeing so many of these uh, of, of of qualified black coaches being being um, overlooked for some guys who are considered to be more of a, of a hot item, you know, white guys, because we see a lot of these names that are familiar almost catapulting up the ranks. Like, when you look at the defensive staff with the Patriots, the, the I think it's a joke that we all know that Jared Mayo is essentially the defensive coordinator, yet he doesn't have the title. Meanwhile, he is essentially sharing those duties with the older of the two Belichick sons, who, I mean, let's be real about it. Like, I haven't been impressed with anything that he's done as a a coach so far. Like, I don't look at any positions that he's coached and go, oh my gosh, like, that guy's a rising star. And yet, there are two Belichicks on the defensive staff of only six with no defensive coordinator who have legitimate titles next to their names and now have 10 and six years of service as coaches in the NFL. And and what that does is it brings into question the validity of those positions when you get absolutely mud stomped you know, by a team in the playoffs and you look over there and you go, well, there's two Belichicks over there. Clearly they must not be their dad because we know that Bill Belichick came up as like, like everybody knew immediately Bill Belichick was going to be a head coach one day.
0: Yeah. Um. but Yeah. But, but now, you know, he came up and, and what, what is his claim to fame? I mean, the way I understand it, right. The claim to fame, I think is LT. Right, so same old thing, you know. You your star rises a lot quicker. Uh, but 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 great players.
1: But but I think his claim to fame can be LT, but LT wasn't that entire defense. Right, and that's my that's my like you have to have a. I mean, you have to have somebody. Yeah. Like we're not saying that, but that entire defense wasn't LT. The same way that entire Patriots defense wasn't Richard Seymour. Right. You know, um when when they made their, their rise, like but 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 the, the thought process of having two sons on your team that don't have to take the the scrutiny or the backlash that comes with these performances, that goes on dad. And so now when and, and what we've seen a lot of guys end up doing is dudes kind of cut their teeth, get some years underneath them, and then they send them out into onto these other staffs in order to, you know, kind of round out their experience. And then next thing, you know, they pop up in their, their Kyle Shanahan, or they pop up in, in, in their, their McVeigh's who's, you know, they get these opportunities at super young ages. And then who are they going to surround themselves with? They're going to surround themselves with their buddies who tend to be other young white coaches who, exists kind of in that same area. And, and now you've got all of these, you know, all of these hot name guys who all kind of look alike and, and speak the same because that's what, that's what they know. And yet you've got a David Cully over here. Who's been in the trenches for 30 plus years, gets his one opportunity to be a head coach and does an extremely admirable job when it was clear that they didn't want to win at all in Houston and for his trouble he gets fired at the end of the season and then they start to like run his name through the mud by saying that the the GM was you know in the headset with him telling him what to do and things of that nature the same thing that we see with Brian Flores who left New England went down to Miami and in 3 years had the best or the last 2 years of his 3 years had the best 2 year run that the Dolphins have seen since the early um, 1990s, and gets fired, and then we start hearing the smear campaign on his name. Well, he didn't get along with this, and he didn't know how to talk to that. I, I just feel like that's that's some of the issues that we've seen that have led to the fact that the NFL only has one black head coach currently, and he just happens to be the outside of Belichick, the most successful coach in. You know, in in the NFL, so I I think that there's a reason why there's probably going to be some backlash on Belichick for for what's going on because you should be able to put together a staff that's better than your two sons holding primary assistant coach positions on your staff.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, nepotism is alive and well, and you know that probably extends beyond the National Football League and. Now, uh, we know uh, on Martin Luther King Day, I mean, racism is alive and well. So systemic racism is primarily what I'm talking about. So, um, you know, the Rooney rule was established for a reason uh, in the NFL, but, uh, you know, uh, black coaches would have you know, every reason in the world to question whether or not that that has um, accomplished what its intended uh, objectives were, right? I mean, you, you you get, you know, you're making a couple of cases and, you know, so, um, you know, I, I would say, yeah, the National Football League, look at the National Football League, probably better than most, you know, uh, institutions, and this country kind of represent the good and the bad of this country and so uh what you're pointing out is you know some of the bad and some of the double standards and and uh i don't know i you know so i i my in my gut i want to say you know what I, I i think a lot of what you're talking about i, I think it's off season some things are going to be uh you know i, I think there'll be changes and some of these positions and names we're already hearing about and all of that but i mean that's probably just you know more talk like you know you always oh yeah no there'll be changes but then there aren't so
1: yeah and 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 I wanted to be clear to people who who might listen I'm okay with Bill Belichick giving opportunities to his sons because he has the ability to give them opportunities mm-hmm. the problem is like Mike Tomlin is just one guy it's, it's not as if Bill Belichick's the only guy that's doing it, but where do we get the black coach to be able to do it if he can't keep a job? And so, like, that's the part where you go, okay, well, if it's going to be nepotism, let's all play under the same rules, right. except we don't get the opportunity to allow my son to have 10 years of ex- Just think about this. this. This young man has 10 years of NFL experience and I guarantee you, he does not know more football than me. Yeah. Like there's the the thought process behind that is so asinine that nobody else has the opportunity to do that because because the, the most tenured coach in the NFL doesn't have kids like that are that are able to take advantage of that. And it's only one. Well, the second most tenured coach in the NFL doesn't have enough. Like, I I mean, we've seen it with Andy Reid and his kids who've been on staffs. We've seen it with Shanahan. We've seen it with Schottenheimer. Like, the list goes on and on uh, of guys. And I think that when you get people to start to question it, the fact that they're only questioning it because the defense played poorly is the problem. Because it should have been questioned. The moment they told us, well, there's they're, they're not gonna name a defensive coordinator in New England. They're just gonna Mayo and Belichick and Belichick are just going to kind of tandem the job. And it's like, well, if I'm if I'm Mayo, I'm going, yeah, but I played in your defense and I'm now doing the lion's share of said work in your defense because I know it better than your son does. Shouldn't I be the defensive coordinator? because that title matters um at so many levels and so to not get to not get that opportunity to have that title in new england because the head coach has just decided that he doesn't want to give that title to you but he's willing to give his son's legitimate assistant coach titles that to me is something we're not talking about enough that we probably should um, luckily or, or unluckily for them being out of the playoffs might bring that more to the table than, than maybe um, Belichick would want it to.
0: Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I would say so. And there was, again, there was a front page article by my guy, Dan Shaughnessy today in the globe uh, front page of the sports section, kind of uh, addressing that issue, you know, and taking it on a little bit. And, um, you know, I think it sounds like Gerard Mayo is, being interviewed for a few positions out there. So I, I don't – I'm, I'm you know, I, I – I'll comment a lot of stuff I don't know. This one especially hard because uh, of the A. I don't know how any NFL organization works, let alone the Patriots. And then with the when you put the media into the whole equation, you know, what they do and how they do it and all of that, it's just, uh, you know, uh, would give me – I'd have some great questions myself for Gerard Mayo if he was, you know, Hey Gerard like what what's what you know what's the deal here man because early in the season, remember uh, Bill Belichick uh, took over the defense after whatever game that was right and then so they, at, that's, that that's whole that whole thing's been a like a moving target. who's running the defense
1: yeah, yeah, and I think I think it's a shell game it's a shell game that Belichick likes because he likes that mystery he likes that yeah. to keep people not knowing exactly what's going on on the inside. Yeah. But it, it, I feel like it's just unfair. Like that, like to me, that's where I land on it. It's unfair because Mayo has been in those trenches. He's been working towards something. I know that he doesn't want to be um, the who's the. I think he's a. I think he's the. He he's on he's on the staff. He's been on the staff for like thirty years. You know, it, it just he's been there forever, and he's never going to advance beyond just being a regular position coach. And I know some guys are okay with that, right. but I don't get this. I don't get the, the the feeling that Gerard Mayo wanted to leave being a player just to be a lifelong assistant coach. That's yep. usually not how those guys are wired. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And now, um, we Buccaneers fans get to once again welcome all of you New England Patriot fans to our bandwagon, so that you can so that you can ride. Um, Tom Brady one more again this this postseason. I think it's very convenient for Massachusetts people to do this, or not even just New England people to do this, where a guy moves on and yet you still hold allegiance with said guy, even though that guy is no longer being employed by your team as a way to continue to um have success um as a fan it's it's ingenious
0: yeah i would agree with that it's a little bit like fantasy sports right it gives you uh you know gives you that element of like oh yeah you actually have something to do with it and now i have something to do with tampa like somehow that's my right so i agree but um you know and i, and I think what, what's interesting should brady advance and win another game You know, because earlier this year when the Pats won their seven in a row now, the conversation was, well, hey, we can kind of agree that it's, you know, that that it's about even. That Brady's Super Bowl, right, which kind of gave him one nothing over Belichick, was kind of like, uh uh-oh. Now, you know, when everyone saw New England as the number one seed in the AFC and Mac Jones is getting it done and Belichick's the master, it was, you know, hey, I, I guess we can say it's tied. But they go out the way they go out, right? And now yeah. should Brady advance again, it's gonna be eh. It's, it's Brady 2-0. 100 percent
1: And if and if Brady gets another championship, it doesn't matter what Bill Belichick does after that. Yeah. Like if Brady, if Brady goes off and gets two in a row with a team who won with defense back when they won. God knows how, how many years ago is that now? Whatever. Like, he, it doesn't matter what anyone else does. He has already written his name at the top line. And in order for someone to, to beat that, they're going to have to find a way to last as long as he did and win more than he did. And that's practically impossible.
0: Yeah, I, I loved what I saw. Matt Castle, former New England quarterback, and then t- took the Chiefs uh, over there for a, a bit. Um, you know, does some studio work in New England, and and he said, uh, you know, I was looking forward to telling my grandkids about Brady, but Jesus, I, I think they're going to be able to see him play. So, uh, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, do will you even get an opportunity to tell? some of the younger generation about Tom Brady because they'll just see him for themselves.
0: So, yeah, I mean, we, we started the show with, with, with my friend Mark. I mean, and, and you know, uh, time is, is undefeated, right? There's, death is undefeated. You're not going to beat it. But if anyone has given time a run for its money, it's Tom Brady.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. He's given he's given like time and perception to run for his money because I don't think anyone, no one that's a, a football guy is still willing to just say he's the best quarterback of all time. You just have no other choice. Like <laughs> that's the, that's the thing is like when we, when you go, okay, well if I needed one quarterback to, to get it done, I, I don't know if, if people are saying Tom Brady, Mm-hmm. Yet he's been the quarterback that's gotten it done more than any other quarterback has ever gotten it done. But he's also had more opportunities than any other quarterback has ever had. So yeah, I it's it's a it's a it's an interesting debate. We're never going to get an answer to it. No. I'm just happy and, and I'm not a Tom Brady fan, but I'm happy that the Buccaneers are winning. Yeah.
0: And I would I'm say yeah, my my close to it all would be, look at coaches in every sport, highest level, are the first ones to point out players. like all in, uh, the Mount Rushmore of coaches across all sport is filled with, you know, for the most part with with coaches who coach great players and and obviously recognize the 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 role that the players played in creating those careers. So but then what gets interesting. But what gets interesting is, you know, give certain coaches certain teams, give this coach you know, who does what with which teams, who are the coaches that you know, or did what with different style teams and and stuff like that.
1: How about this? If we were just to take a quick thought process, who who would be the Mount Rushmore of coaches who've done more with less? Yeah. Like, who would those guys be? Like, if you just had to pick a you know, a guy who's done like who would be at the top of the list of the guys who've done more with less. Well,
0: I, I, if, if, if you're coming up with some names, I'd like to hear it. Uh, I'm going to think I have a hard time thinking as I talk. Uh, and and so that will be a topic for next week. Uh, I,
1: I would tell you that the, the first name I'm thinking of is a baseball name. And um. I, I'm I'm trying to remember his you know his 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 name but it's only just because it's it's now just kind of popped out of my head. But um that like right right off of the top of my head, I think of this one coach who's done more with
0: my football
1: guy, by the way, my football guy would be Paul Johnson. Yeah. Paul Johnson, who is a college coach, so you probably don't know as much about him um is was the is the is the quintessential triple option coach he had navy winning all over the place for years and years and years then he went to georgia tech took the triple R option to georgia tech won acc titles um, won an acc title and you know when people told him that the triple option would never be able to win at big time football he won at big time football never won a national championship but Definitely, as a guy who did more with less, I would put him up there when it came to um, college basketball. As you would yeah. notice because you're a baseball guy. the The longtime manager for St. Louis, uh, Red Schoendes. Red Schoendes. You no, know, go go. Or Red, come come yeah, come closer to me.
0: Oh, Jesus. I mean, cause that's where I know I was going back to the 67 stocks. I mean, Dick Williams did quite a bit with, uh, with, with, with last night, but then his, 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 uh, the impossible dream. Yeah. Well, the impossible dream, it was the impossible dream because it was a laughing stock team. And he, he took a team, I think that had finished, uh, that Red Sox have made a habit of this recently, but he took a team that finished last or close to last the year before. And, and, uh, you know, in 67, took the Cardinals to a seventh game before Lombard couldn't uh, get it done in game seven. But that being said, it's our guy, uh, you know, who was just with the uh, – Wasn't he just Not with LaRusso. the –
1: Yeah, that's yeah. who I think of when I think of a guy who did more with less. I'll
0: give you another name. We're going to stay on baseball. Baseball, okay. for 200, please. Terry Francona, possibly. Terry the-
1: Francona.
0: Best, yeah maybe the best manager in red sox history who then went to cleveland and and has you know run a uh, very very competitive team no
1: doubt although i would i would i would push back on the more with less because well, he was with the red sox oh so,
0: yeah but i'm th- so i guess i'm talking about that, that would be a guy who's but, but proven he could Coach uh, different types of Red Sox teams, but then and then go to Cleveland and okay. run that. So he's yeah. market and big market. Not everyone can do that. He's he's done it well.
1: That's true. Well, if that's the case, if we're saying that, do we have to give Joe Madden some of that same
0: some of that One, same Joe juice? Joe Madden, you, for like, you got you and I are freaking smoking hot on baseball. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Joe Madden's got to be in there.
0: Well, in our you know, in our sweet spots. Cause I think we're a little, we're a little sensitive and a little, uh Oh, I might screw this up. You know, we're no, a little, No, no.
1: I don't no. care. I don't care if I mess it up okay. for me. Okay. I'm just like trying to remember names. I, 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 I remember who I'm thinking. I know who I'm thinking of. I'm just trying to remember names, but now that I think of it, baseball has a lot of guys who I feel having to have, I think with baseball, you, you see it happen more, right. Because of the way in which, the manner in which managing comes into play, being able to figure out how this team fits together.
0: Yeah, I I, I think the way you define what we're talking about might be slightly different in baseball, but I, I think the bottom line is it, I think there are I think it's a very valid question. I think there are coaches. You know, Phil Jackson is known right for for just simply. Taking a team, whether it's the Bulls or the Lakers, that had the pieces in place and then putting them over the top, and yeah, that that's just the way it is. I mean, but it may be fair too. Like, what would, would Phil Jackson have been a, you know, a, a you know, not to say championship level coach, but would, would he have would he have done a good job with some lesser teams? I don't know. Um,
1: yeah, that's the that's the question that we that you that you because you feel as if you feel as if a, a guy like um don nelson you know a guy like don nelson who spent many years in the in the trenches yeah, yeah. got a lot of w's yeah um you know lenny Wilkins lots of w's yeah but not necessarily championships
0: no those might be guys that fit our you know those are the types of guys I was thinking about and there's a, there's yeah a others, um that and, and they don't become you know maybe at household names. As, as much or or they're they're not put on Mount Rush, Rushmore simply because you know they never had the the horses to, to get there. But so I bet you though I, I think those are two good names. I'll give you a college basketball name but I'm I'm throwing out all homers. Um but you know Eddie Cooley at Providence. Like no one
1: Ed Cooley I, Yeah I mean nope.
0: like that guy is just winning again and over and most people go to Providence and get the hell out of Dodge as soon as they're good and and because they know that to sustain it at Providence is extremely difficult, but he does have a knack for uh, for for uh, competing at the highest level with less than some of his brethren.
1: Well, okay, so I will give you a name that I thought had a chance to be in that category, but I don't know if he's going to end up in that category, and that's Frank Martin. Yeah. I think Frank Martin was trending towards that, being able to do more with less um, but his tenure at South Carolina has not been impressive to me. And so like in a situation where run
0: to the final four, I mean, what's that? Following his run to the final four. Well, following
1: what, yeah, what, what he was able to do immediately. Right. Versus what he's been able to do since, yeah. like, he's still doing more with less because it's always going to be South Carolina, right. you know, exactly. um, and so like the consistency of it is where is where I is where I land on it. I, I think Tom Izzo is a guy who's like on the he's on the he's on the fringe because he gets some good some good players. Yep. But I don't know if he gets like top 10, you know, top, you know, top 15 players. But so I don't know if he's doing more with less, but I think he does a lot with the guy who's not the guy. Right,
0: and I'll give you two other names too, who you know and and again, one of them you'll scoff at, and the other you know maybe needs more evidence, but rick patino and and Billy Donovan, so his protege so uh i'll I'll you give know.
1: you Donovan. Pitino, yeah. Nah, get it nah, yeah. get that out
0: of here well, I th- I'm talking Patino more, and I'm not a patino guy, so to speak, uh but uh have friends that have seen his work that you know nothing ex- except respect for. <laughs> what he gets guys to do individually and collectively. So more is Louisville teams uh in his ability. Okay. To, yeah. So and 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 going okay. back. So before he became you know Providence.
1: Before, um, yeah, before yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, before, you know what?
0: Before he became slick rick, before he yeah. his tenure mired in Boston and taking on back and some of the uh storied stuff where he just made a lot of
1: Larry Bird's not coming through that door.
0: Yeah, boy. Yeah. Uh, but if you just take that aside and you know uh, then you say yeah for things that you know i
1: mean like i said once you once you put it right. that way it does right. make sense because outside yeah. of kentucky right he has and then now right now what he's oh, yeah. doing oh yeah what he's doing right now <laughs> yeah
0: i mean, I mean you're because you're, part of what we're doing is saying okay give me a name of a guy we don't necessarily want to see you give that guy like a Half yeah. the who don't we want to see? Well, you don't want to see Rick Patino and nah. whatever press he's in and whatever guys he's got going. And you know, it, right now in the NBA, you don't want to see Billy Donovan, he's you know, etc. Boom, 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 etc. Et
1: no, you're you're 100% right on that. I think you I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, when you when you put it like that, it makes a lot more, it makes a lot of sense. Well, because... I'm,
0: gonna, I'm gonna give the credit not only to Cycle Bar here in Portland, which I found out one of our you know sponsors to be. Uh glad to find out that cycle bars happening in Portland, Maine, uh as well as Savannah, Georgia. But uh and Crown Vanilla. So I think Crown Vanilla
1: uh Crown Vanilla and Cycle Bar Portland. Yeah, yeah work together to yeah. yeah. So you, you work out at Cycle Bar Portland and yeah. then you relax with a nice yeah. crown vanilla on the rocks. I think so. To end your to end your evening. It's I mean it, it it makes perfect sense to me. Um, it's a good segue though because we're talking about um, coaching and co- and doing more with less. It, it 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 brings me to a conversation we were talking about as far as coaching. Is is there, well, not is there a such thing as overcoaching, but can can you damage your team by overcoaching? we we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. Well, I think like that. Yeah, you
0: can frame it any way you want, but there there is definitely such a thing as overcoaching. And you definitely can damage your team by overcoaching. And so uh, uh I I think um uh, you know I i I think there's a sweet spot for coaches, right, to understand their team. That's where uh Bob Hurley, the legendary uh at Saint Anthony's and in, in hoops. Whoops, sorry. Uh have I mentioned our sponsors yet? <laughs> <laughs> Crown Vanilla and- Psychobar. Like bar, uh, Bob Hurley would talk about ten games to build an identity in hoops, and and you know really as much as anything, you're you're getting to know your team, right? And so therefore, uh, as as you're doing that, or with all the preparation that goes into a season, yada yada yada, you know you you can you can overcoach the thing. I would tell you that uh, you know say at the college level the tendency is for some of these coaches these days, particularly because the compensation salaries are are so good uh, to be control freaks. I mean, I talked to Eddie Cooley about that once. I mean, if I'm in the Providence civic center coming out of a timeout down, you know, down four points or something, I think the fans want to see me raising a couple of fingers and calling a play and, you know, running a set. And, you know, I don't think they, I don't think the perception wants to be that we're giving the players too much room to, read and react or get in their flow or create right so uh yet all coaches would admit that's what the the game is all about that balance of structure and freedom right uh where where players have room to create so yes i think i think coaches tend to make the game at the college level uh two half court i think that's where we get back to our FIBA and 24 versus 30 seconds open up the game a little bit. I think the game is trending to to a more open and creative style, but uh, you can definitely overcoach. You can damage your team as much maybe overcoaching as you can by undercoaching because there's definitely that too, right? I mean, saying I don't want to overcoach is no excuse for undercoaching either.
1: Yeah, I think I I look at it from two perspectives. So when I was in – when I was in in high school, my sophomore year, we were terrible, um, and we ran essentially, we ran we ran this play brewing, which was essentially motion offense, um, back screens and cuts, and, and 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 everything was hey let's move it around, let's work it around, let's get a good shot you know or or let's get a quality shot an open layup for somebody or an open shot for someone and it was it was stagnant because it just it slowed us down and 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 quite honestly the type of team we had was not really built for that and i remember at the end of the season we got blown out in the first round of a playoff game and i went to the coach and i was like coach man we gotta do something different like this ain't gonna work and and it's really interesting because, I mean, I'm a I'm a sophomore because we didn't have freshmen in my high school at that time. I'm a sophomore on starting on the varsity. Going up to the head coach going, we got to do some different stuff, like the audacity of, you know, me to just walk up and be like, hey, but but to his. And this is the only credit I'll give him because I wasn't really a big fan of his as a coach, um, but to his credit. He went, hey, we're going to do some things different because he recognized that he had a team that wasn't built to do what it is he wanted to do. And so he gave us a lot more autonomy in, you know, the next two years to kind of I I won't say free will, but work within the structure of what he had going on. And we had a lot of success. We won back to back district titles, uh, went on, you know, and, and. you know and was we were real, we were really a force we beat some teams and we had no business beating with the players that were way way better than we were um because we played a style that worked for what we had as a coach I look at that and go it's good as long as you get it right you know yeah it's it's a good thing as long as you get it right and then how do you strike the balance from when things are getting haphazard and you know when you've got to pull the string and and bring it back You know, kind of get them back, you know, under control. Well, my head coach in high school had no clue how to do that.
0: Yeah. I mean, we call them heat checks. So, I mean, we want the players to be aggressive, but if we're maybe uh, coming down the floor and jacking it up a tad too quick, too many times in a row, um, you know, we want to pull the reins back in. But meanwhile, if someone's making shots and making plays, and now he has a little bit more license to, you know, make the next play too, like a heat check, you know, but if not, then. And and I think, you know, back in the day, like, you know, Bob Knight uh, made motion offense famous, Dean Smith passing game offense, essentially the same sorts of things. But, um, you know, a lot of coaches, including myself, tried to study that stuff and, and do it. And, um, you know, no bad, yeah, I mean, bad motion offense is going to be bad offense to a point where, like, I would coach players here and – you know, I mean, I wouldn't even use the term motion offense because if I did, oh yeah, coach, I know motion offense, like, you know, pass the ball twice and do whatever the hell I want to do. So, but more than that, I think part of what changed in the game too in time is the game went from an East West game in large part to a North South game. Right. So, and I think that like football the way i studied uh, the way i understand the game is you know you want to use the all the space you got you know you you gotta you have horizontal and vertical i don't know what the football terms are but you have that space you want to use so in basketball it's the same thing you have this ability to go north south and east west to stretch the defense and you know the best offenses are going to stretch that defense uh hopefully until they break uh, and then create a situation that they can take advantage of. So, uh, but I think the emphasis today is more what you were talking about with your coach saying, "Hey, coach, we got to play. We got to play a little more downhill and a little more north-south and a little more attacking, and a little less of this, you know, running hold like like where the Washington Generals playing the Harlem Globetrotters in some freak show."
1: Yeah, I think I think what I what I figured out, and, and it's probably been the thing that I that I still hold. Um, is is understanding personnel and how they should yep. be used within a you know yep. within a system yep. and and for me as a six foot as a six foot three guy you were saying had to play the post because I was because I was just tough even though I was 160 pounds but I was tough yet I was also skilled but because I was one of the taller kids on the team, you were putting me in the paint. To a point where I had to grab a rebound and then look for a guard that made no sense. Like, yeah. <laughs> why wouldn't I just grab the rebound and just take off because your their five can't guard me on the perimeter because I'm a perimeter player playing in the post.
0: What were you so, born? You were born 20 years too early.
1: I was born way too. Early. I've I've yeah. said it. I've yeah. said it in in football and in basketball. Yeah. I was born probably about ten years too early. Yeah.
0: I've always said, saying, you're a little ahead of your time."
1: Yeah, and and it and you say it with a little smirk, as if you know to throw a little jab at at, at my narcissism, which I appreciate.
0: No, I really wasn't, but I yeah. Well, I don't think I was.
1: Yeah, I mean it's okay if you were. I'm
0: okay. You're just smirking cuz I know goddamn there's nothing you or I could do about it, but it's really-
1: No, no, it, it it really is frustrating because I was in a situation where had I been born, had I come along and my and my high school career would have been in the mid 2000s, I probably would have gone to college and played basketball in some capacity. Right. Like in some capacity higher than where I played. Right. At.
0: Right, right. I played
1: in I played basketball in college, but I was playing Division three basketball and football at the same time, and went well. This is ridiculous. Let me go play higher level football. Right. Um, but even in football, as a as a big receiver in high school, nobody had to wear a thaw to go. Let me throw this guy at tight end, and be more you know like a, because at the time tight ends were six foot seven. 270 pound like guys who just ran around and blocked and then you caught like a they weren't going on not like shannon sharp was the was the outlier but nobody was trying to recreate shannon sharps at that time it wasn't until later on that people started doing that where i was already past the cycle you know
0: and then think about hey think about all the you know not to get too morbid about it all but think about all the uh the the potentially great black quarterbacks the world could have seen but we simply weren't gonna play it in-
1: absolutely charlie I, I still believe charlie world charlie ward would have been a fantastic nfl quarterback right who never got he was a guy who who ran the offense that everybody runs now in the NFL mm-hmm. way back when he was doing it at Florida State in the early nineties. Yeah and yet decided to go, and this is how this is how ridiculous it sounds when you say it out loud, he decided to go to the NBA to have an 18-year NBA career. When we know that per capita athlete, the NBA is pretty much the top level. When you're talking about just athleticism, so the idea that this guy who played quarterback had enough athleticism to hang with NBA players for 18 years or however the hell long. It was a long career where I was like, Charlie Ward is still in the league? Mm -hmm. Like, It's really really interesting to me when you see stuff like that and you're like, man, if those guys had gotten the opportunity, and and obviously there's a bunch of those names that you you, you can go to, but I think about that from the coaching standpoint of, Okay, things are like I want these guys to be able to operate how they see fit. It's why in in football coaching, I tend to give younger quarterbacks more power than most coaches give because I want them to learn and be able to have a feel for what's going on to make decisions. But that comes with a cost because when they make the bad decision, they don't have to take responsibility for the bad decision. You still have to take responsibility for the bad decision. And it's like you can't go out there and go, well, my quarterback just decided that he was going to call that play when you gave him license to call that, you know, to call that play.
0: Yeah, and that's why in basketball, it's exactly why uh coaches at at, at some different levels uh won't be um running uh read and react or player based decision offenses conceptual type offenses because um when when it doesn't go well and and you know they gotta say well you know they're you know it's gonna say well you know what are you like an idiot for letting these guys make the you know so yeah i'll just make the you know i'll just script everything that's what but and that's why I like the RPO in football, because that's what I, I like in the I I I I compare that the most maybe to a basketball concept where there's a read and react. It's a run.
1: It's I, if I, then, I, then statements.
0: Oh, say it again. Yes. It's
1: it's that's, a series of if-then statements, which yeah. I'm I'm I love. Like yeah. that was my that was my jam when we were talking to, um what what class was that? It was um oh gosh, um what class was it that we did a really high level if then statements on? I, I'll remember in a second, but my point is that like I remember watching and I watched a lot of your practices. That was like
0: a word problem class to me, but.
1: it's a it, it was a word problem, but it was a yeah theory. There okay. we go. It was a theory yeah. class. Okay. And so um I watched a lot of I watched a lot of your practices when I was at Bridget and and I, I always enjoyed the, the most. I enjoy it because of the team we had, it was a lot of get out on the break, but then there was the secondary break. And right. I remember you used to hammer the second you and um, used to hammer the secondary break, like really hard, yeah. like, Hey, don't be afraid that sec, like as soon as you see, it's not there hit this secondary break. And I would, I would, I would almost be able to call like alley oop dunks. Like, I would be sitting, my normal, you know, fifty right, right on the right on the right on the half court, right on the front, you know. And we, I would be sitting there, I'd be like, oh, this is about to be a dunk. And it, and and literally, it would pass, 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 throw the ball up. Somebody's going to, you know, dunk it. Part of it comes from the personnel that you had and, and their IQ. Because yep. Beasley, you know, Beasley was on a completely different level yep. than most 18-19-year-old yep. point guards are on. Yep.
0: Um Paid for a state championship team in Huntsville. So there you go. Yep.
1: And so it's like when you have somebody like that that understands the game at that level, and then you have the the surrounding talent that you had around him, it makes things a lot easier. But even even, even year year two. It was the same type of thing that secondary break, being able to understand, okay, this isn't going to end in a layup. Boom, 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 wide open three. Boom, 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 alley oop dunk. And and it really it, it really takes it, really takes hammering it home, which comes into coaching. It's like you gotta coach, 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 coach that into them, but not so much to the point where they missed the wide open layup because they're trying to get into the secondary break.
0: Yeah. And, and you know what, I mean, and in in teaching basketball, say today you, um, I mean, and I don't, I don't, I don't remember, uh, every one of the, I don't remember what the hell we were running back when you were around. Um, I do other than the fact that it was, you know, not altogether different than what we're still doing. But the point is, this is Jeff Van Gundy. Um, You'd never want to get into a secondary break or anything else for that matter at the expense of your primary break, which means okay, that first and foremost, you you defend, rebound, and then run, which would be your primary break or attack. And all I was trying to do is say, hey, listen, rather than forcing up a shot when we don't have something that's obviously apparent to all of us, on the initial attack, let's reverse the ball. Let's swing it. Let's make, and, and so I have no idea you, you seem to, but whether we called it secondary break or whether we were just into our next phase of offense, which is what I, I think uh, it just meant, Hey guys, don't, you know, we're in attack mode, but we're not sim. We're not going to force either. So let's make the next past. And these are all guys that were the best players in the high school team, et cetera, et cetera. So just like the college guys, you got to mold them into a unit cohesively. So I think that's all we were trying to do stay aggressive, but not be uh, foolish. And then uh, if you do that, now you got a chance. Um, and a lot of times that's good enough, you know, and then you have to decide too. Okay. What pace, right? What tempo are you going to play at? Because then the the third you know, kind of the third phase of offense, if you will, is, okay, they've guarded you coming down the court on your fast break. And now you've got into what you're calling your secondary break, or you've swung the ball. And now, uh, you know, and and you see this with different teams at, at different levels. So now are you, you know, now are you running more offense or to keep the total number of possessions up? Are you simply, I mean, making something happen in that phase? So the total number of possessions in the game goes way up. And that probably depends on your defensive philosophy and talent level and obviously what your overall coaching philosophy is so
1: do you believe you can just like coach a good defense or do you believe that's just intrinsic in some of the players that you're able to get
0: uh i think good defense is probably a mix of both those things so number one uh you you i i yeah i think some players are better than others uh, defensively, both both in their physical attributes to do it and and then their mental and emotional makeup to do it. So I think there's first and foremost the player qualities that are going to make a good defense. And, and that's probably more important, right? Than, but then the coaching scheme, uh, because I do think you can uh, scheme and drill and emphasize is probably the biggest thing. Um, and then your players, right, are going to value what you do and what you emphasize. So I think those two go hand in hand. But, um, you know, you give me – you give any decent coach some guys that are willing defenders and you got a chance.
1: Yeah, so the one thing that I've always believed, and I believe this goes – this traverses all sport. I believe you can teach and or drill into – a defensive mentality as long as you have players that are willing as long as you have players that are willing to receive the message i believe that that's the place that does not require feel i believe that offense requires feel and defense requires belief Uh, yeah i I would i agree with that i
0: think it's a a great point the only the only you know i'm I'm splitting hairs just to kind of you know, be the last guy with a chalk kind of debate a I'm little sorry. bit. I, I agree with you. The only thing I would say that I find myself as an older coach talking about is that, you know, defensively, um, particularly off the ball, you you need to read, okay? Uh, so t- uh, typically in basketball and offense, you talk about reading and reading the floor, reading the game, reading whatever it is you're doing, okay? Okay. Um, but then there's this element of defense where you have to read too which is how much help do i have to give right so that's reading that's recognizing you know uh because you and and so that's feel okay so the feel i think peace would be taking a good defense and making it great that that's where i would add to your point i agree with your point and then i'd say yeah. guess what the feel of it Which would be primarily off the ball, right? It wouldn't be Tyrone Appleby, go Uh get him, kid, right? I
1: got him. Beasley, I got him. I
0: got him. I got him. I got him. him. (laughs) It wouldn't be that. It would be the guys behind him reading, okay, am I am I in a help situation or or how much of a help situation? And then the help, the helper, okay, what you know, because we gotta be on a string. So that becomes the field place and, and so I think that can get overlooked.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm not. I I don't necessarily think you're wrong, and I don't want to have the the last chalk. But you know, if you don't feel, and you just do exactly what your job is defensively, you can have success. Right. Offensively, sometimes you can do exactly your job, and it, it goes completely wrong. Yeah. Well, that's. I think you're right. Yeah, and I think that's the difference. And so for. Like, for me, it always starts with defense. Like, yeah. whether we're talking about football or basketball yeah. or whatever, like, I love cricket, and I, and I watch cricket matches, and I look at it and I go, dude, if you have a great defense, you don't have to put up a lot. You don't have to score a lot of, you know, a lot of runs in your overs. So it, it becomes a situation where defense really, like, cements what you're doing, and and I think a lot of times defensively, you can end up with a great or a great looking offense because you're never really having to set up because of what you're able to generate off of your defense. And so like, I don't think I've ever run like a really awesome offense. I actually think when I was running offense in basketball, there was really like basic concepts that I was running, but I would only run them maybe 20% of the time because the other 80% of the time, we were breakneck up the up up the court, you know, and in in allowing people to make decisions because of what they've done defensively to you know either turn the ball over or to force a bad shot. Um and so it's like with that, how do if 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 like I believe if you can coach a good defense, if you can just take some guys and or some girls and 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 go listen if we can't do anything else we're going to make layups because we're going to we're going to we're going to rep layups and making layups like it's going out of style and we can play good defense we're going to be in games yeah well this
0: may be another topic for another day too but to your point uh i i believe that uh good coaches can control games easier at lower levels of play. So a good high school coach or or lower can, I mean, really have a dramatically greater difference on the impact of that game. And I I mean, because not just in-game coaching, but what he's doing um, in practice every day. And then obviously that's the challenge of the college and the professional game, right, is the best or supposedly the best are going against the best uh, matching wits with them. And now um, coaches maybe have less of a determining factor in um, success. It's, it's harder on coaching at the college level. Um, and, and obviously then it becomes maybe to a fault about recruiting.
1: I mean I think that's that's not just the college level I think that's the prep level as well where yeah. recruiting is such a big vital yeah. you know part of what's going on at that level as well yeah. I I think the great equalizer where you will see these lower levels high school whatever come to is when the is when the shot clock becomes universal
0: which let's all continue it's around the corner yeah, no, I I hope so. And and up here in Maine, uh great basketball state that we are, we support it. And there's people every chance we get on Twitter, uh, please get that uh shot clock in there. Just,
1: I'm sorry, did you just say Maine great basketball state that we are?
0: Yeah, I've said that to you before. Maine as the little brother I, of Indiana. I
1: tried to I tried to like ignore it the first time. Yeah. And then you said it again, and I'm like, wait a minute. He, yeah. Maine exactly. the great basketball. Yeah. You know what, Whit? I'm gonna let you have that because I'm I'm from you know I went to high school in Florida, and even though I'd like to think it's the great basketball state, it's not. Right. Well, but, but it, I'll, I'll yeah. let you
0: have it. It's come a long way. I mean, traditional has yeah. In I mean, Texas. I mean, states that were once you know all football and still remain. I mean, again. I think
1: athleticism has something to do with that, though. A lot
0: to do with it. Florida
1: and Texas, because there were so many great athletes. Once they started spreading their wings beyond just football, right? You started to see, or at least taking it more seriously. You know, not just playing basketball as a pastime, right? But really investing time in it. You saw it get better. Um, I would, I would have. It would have been interesting if I would went to high school in Maine. I would have been it would have been very interesting to, to 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 think about what my what what my career would have looked like. We might have we might have, you know, we
0: probably could have done something with you, I think, beyond, you know, with no disrespect to what you're, you know, we could have, you know, because right, a little bit of the big fish, smaller pond, which used to work against Maine. But now, and there are uh more and more players and year round training and all of that. So Maine gets more exposure than it once did, uh, goes in cycles like every state. You yeah. know, uh and and so there are I, I see colleges that really uh and this is both uh this is not just athletics too. I mean I've had colleges where that where they say, you know, we like kids from Maine. They they seem like they're well grounded. You know, the cultural something something of Maine. So that but makes sense. I mean, yeah, but I've seen college basketball programs the same thing. Like really uh, you know, because people gotta find what when they're recruiting, right? They gotta find markets, they gotta find niches, they gotta find places, wells they can go to. And so for some, uh, Maine has been a good well. And I, you know, support that.
1: No, I, I feel you. I like to go on record as saying I gave Saint Joseph's 25 in a um in a correct. Christmas tournament. Um also dumped on their entire team at one point in time, yeah. so it was a great it was a great trip to Maine for me, um, my sophomore year in college. Um, well, I appreciate Saint Joseph's for their hospitality, and their you, and their beautiful young ladies that they had at the game that I was able to exchange numbers with after the game.
0: Well, that was a
1: fantastic thing.
0: If you're thinking about coming back to Maine, don't come today because we just got about a foot of snow stumped. Oh no 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 <laughs> yeah.
1: Absolutely not.
0: But uh, a few months from now, when the sun's shining, the water's warm.
1: You know, up. I keep saying I need to get up to Maine, and I really actually do need to get up. Yeah. It's been way too long since I've been yeah. up there. Um, I'm going to make it happen this year because, you know what, when you actually say you're going to make it happen, you usually make it happen. So yeah. I'll be up there this year at some point. Whit, we will We will run it back at some of our favorite at some of our favorite spots and I will make sure that we get if not one maybe even two podcasts recorded while I'm up there just so we can have some you know us in the same room you know having some having some of these of these great libations while we're talking about cycle bar and their future sponsorship of us
0: correct We'll we'll go visit cycle bar and talk to them about what we're up to they may be able to help
1: yeah, I think I think we I think we need to like as a twofold thing, like you go and visit Portland and I will visit, you know, down in Savannah at the same time. And maybe we can. They're not they're not affiliated in any way other than the fact they're a cycle bar. But maybe we can get a hold of some national thing and get this thing popping. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Zebra Strikes podcast episode nine. I am coach Gene Clemens. That is with your make sure that you like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Rate it, comment. We appreciate everything that you do. Let us know. You know, if you, if there's something that you want to hear, something you want to talk about or you want us to talk about, make sure that you leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, y'all take it easy.